Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Paul Densom. Paul is a queen breeder based in Christchurch, New Zealand, and he's got a business called Valley Apries. Paul produces queens for both the hobbyist and the commercial beekeeper, and his bees have descended from the original swarms that he caught when he first started beekeeping. Really interesting way to do it. And for people who have listened to the show for a while, you'd know I interviewed Aiden Wing last year, and Aiden did a very similar thing. So both Aiden and Paul, they've gone out, they've collected swarms, and over time, they've selectively bred their bees to exhibit the traits that they're looking for. And those bees are also very well suited for local conditions so really interesting way of doing it our conversation starts off today talking about those original swarms hope you enjoy and so yes i developed all of mine i'm going to say 90 percent of um, my queen lineage from captured swarms um, so i'm essentially looking for a clean bottom board which usually indicates some sort of hygiene. Um, big yellow queens. So um, I want the Italian trait around here, um, preferably completely yellow, um, not with a black butt. Um, I want consistency in my the colour of my colony. So often you'll have, uh, you open up a hive and you can have a whole lot of yellow bees, but you can have a whole lot of yellow and black striped bees, very dark striped bees, and and potentially a whole lot of much darker bees, sort of that grey black coloured. And same with um, drones. Um, and I, in fact, I find this more often with drones. Quite often, the drone split strangely can be. You can have really yellow drones and really dark drones in one colony. Um, so I look for more of a consistent colour because you're trying to encourage the yellow slash Ligustica um, Italian trait um, or line genetic. Um, then I'm looking for uh, a really solid brood pattern. Um, pretty much wall to wall in in the middle of the colony at the right in in, in the middle of spring you should have wall to wall um, brood uh, right wall to wall as an edge edge of the frames um, certainly within the middle of the cluster um, and with with not many missing cells um, for brood um, but. One of the main things I look for, and I just get, I think I'm very lucky in the area that I'm in, that I've flooded with my bees, my colonies. I look, uh, I, I give queens away to um, people who I know are queen breeders, uh, who are hobbyists around my area. So I know that they've got my queens, people. Um, yeah, so... Um, so essentially, I'm, and what I'm looking for, I guess, is a consistency with the things I've just listed, but with a really calm colony. Um, hobbyists who buy my queens 
a lot of them buy it because they've got angry bees. And so I can open up. I, I, I use smoke. I don't use gloves. I do definitely use a veil. But I'll open a colony up, give it a quick puff, open the lid, and typically they stay where they are. And then a good test is to wave your hand across the top of them. And if any of them fly up at your hands, that's generally a negative, even though the rest of the colony is still fairly calm. I'm looking for a colony that basically stays put, and then you can start working them, and and, and they're just beautifully natured. Uh, I like a tidy nest, so not spread from side wall to side wall and intermittently across it. I like a really like a rugby ball shaped um, brood nest. That is, so in the middle it will be a full frame, maybe two or three, and then as you go further out each side, it tapers in, but it's still it's consistent. It's not spotty and dotted and all over the place. Uh, and of course, I want a a, um, a good honey producer, so we need excess honey because anyone who's keeping bees, ninety percent of them want um, to get honey off them and. I sell to commercials um, regularly with my queens, and that, that's their primary goal is uh, lots of excess honey. Um, and of course, you want some sort of this is a really difficult one, but um, and it goes a bit with the hygienic um, sort of bottom board, clean bottom board, and so on. But you want sort of disease resistance, so you don't want to be finding. Um, I mean, we test for varroa um, like with. Um, sugar or alcohol shakes, that sort of thing, and low low varroa counts, but of course I'm treating. Um, but other diseases that you see around that, um, uh, like chalk brood and things like that, um, that, you don't want any sign of that in the colonies that I'm, I'm choosing from. So... So with that, Paul, yes. how many seasons... On a bit, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. With, um, with how many seasons do you think it took you before you got a bee that you were were happy with. You know, how many seasons of selection from those initial swarms? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, not not that long, I suppose. But because okay, so I'm a bit of a loner beekeeper, and initially I I did buy a couple of queens, um, and found. I didn't like, uh, typically they were angry and I didn't like that. And I thought, well, how am I going to avoid this? And I um, so started looking into queen rearing. And I think it was, is it called the NICOT system? Is that the one with yes. the little box with like 100 plastic cells in it? And uh, I thought, yeah, the, the, I, yep, the Genta system. Genta, is yep. it? Yeah. And so I was looking into queen breeding. I thought, you know, I've read enough books, I've seen enough YouTube videos and things, and people say that it's e it's best if you use your own stock and it's easy, you know, to do a few and so on. So I tried it, and I, I was a bit I was a bit nervous of grafting, so I went for that the Genta system and made a few queens over a couple of years and 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 started. Uh, I wouldn't say it was successful, but it was easy enough to make a few queens um, that way. It was a frustrating way of you know, getting a queen to lay in a little plastic cell and all that, but they did it. 
And I thought, oh, there's got to be an easier way. And then eventually I just bit the bullet and thought I'll try grafting. Found that I was quite good at it. Had uh, like all the cells would take straight away and so on. I thought, oh, this is much easier than I expected. And so I guess that was a development over two or three, four years. And all the time looking at my best colonies to pull the genetics from. Uh, but once I started grafting, I started really paying attention to my colonies. And I probably had, by this stage, 30 or 40 production colonies in various locations around um, the outskirts of Christchurch. And so I, I'd, I'd look for the qualities that I was after, and then eventually I'd bring that queen back to my home apiary so I could... Um, keep a closer eye and graft from them. So realistically, I guess it only took a couple of years of serious grafting and building colony numbers up. And at that point, of course, I was needing all sorts of equipment to put the, you know, nukes to put um, all of these queen cells into and started growing numbers really quickly because the colonies are much smaller building. I bought a whole bunch of those polystyrene um, mini nukes um, use them for a couple of years, decided I didn't like them much. Um, they swarm too quickly. They're really hard to keep um, fed. They're really hard to keep on top of. If you don't go back there within two weeks, they're so full that they're swarming and so on. So I changed my system over to full depth, um, Langstroth uh, hives split into three. So I guess what people call queen castles or something similar. It's essentially just a, a three-way um, box of nukes and that system really suits me and my timing and my equipment so then I started building up those numbers and building the boxes and so on and so I I guess yeah, to answer your original question it, realistically I was really happy with the queens that I was producing and they had all of those traits that I listed before within two years mm. okay. uh, wow so, that's quick yeah and when, and, yeah, a, well, and I bet the a really good thing about it would have been also the local adaption, okay? Because you're not bringing in stock from other parts of the country. And so everything, it's exactly what you want, but it's also suited for your conditions. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the only um, stock I've brought in is, a, um, is cells from a, a really reputable queen breeder who's now retired. Um, is that David? In the out. No, no. Uh, her name was Maggie James. Okay. It's Maggie James. Um, and she lives in a place called Leeston, which is just south, um, south Canterbury. Yeah. Um, and I used her cells um, basically to proliferate my drones. And, and so, yeah, diversify my genetics. Um, she had great queens and, and she... Uh, she looked for the, exactly the same traits, essentially, as I listed before, um, and liked the big yellow queen as well. Um, Italian queens are very popular in this area. Um, there are, yeah, there are black bees around, but typically people like the um, like the Italian bee, and so. Her cells are pretty much the only genetics I've got that I've brought into my operation. 
Um, and I keep I, I mark all the boxes where um, I've put her cells and keep an eye on them. And once they behave or I, I see that they're behaving exactly how I like my bees to behave, um, they get mixed in. And so, yeah, I guess the genetics diversify that way. But I've had yeah, beekeepers from all over the country do the same with my stock. So they buy in, in autumn that uh, I regularly sell 20 queens to a queen breeder in the North Island or the down in Otago or somewhere who's doing the same thing is they're diversifying their genetics by using mine. And typically you start, well, we start by using those people's or others queen stock for <clears throat> for drone production. So you get a chance over winter to see how well they overwinter, and then you start building them up quickly at this time of the year, um, put in some drone frames and get them producing lots of drones to saturate your queen breeding areas or your queen mating areas. Um, and then, of course, they get intermixed with your own stock because you like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're using the, the Bob Beanie uh, system for raising queens. Do you want to tell us a bit oh, about that? Yeah, I love the Bob Beanie um, double screen board. Um, so when I started out, I went with the cloak board system, um, which is quite similar in a way, but um, I didn't really like it. There was so much manipulation needed um, and big spaces. And I, yeah, I just didn't like it. And um, I looked for something that I, I, I just started looking for a better system and discovered Bob Binney's YouTube channel. Um, this is maybe five or six years ago, I suppose. Uh, and yeah, he's he's got, if if you haven't come across him, he's a wonderful um, YouTuber. He's got tons and tons of experience. Um, but I just like his delivery methods of his YouTube's. He's so relaxed and so chill, and loves educating people. Um, but he's got this system he uses. It's double screen board, and um, uh, the English have a name for it. Um, do you remember what it's called? Uh, no, I've lost it. It'll come back to me later. Anyway, the double screen board is a thick piece of typically plywood as a um, with a big hole in the middle about the size of a softball or bigger and a piece of screen, um, stainless steel wire screen, on both sides of that board and it has a rim all the way around with an entrance on one side or one corner and you use this that you use it in many ways um but for queen breeding i use a queen right system uh so when i oh God, look, when i um graft a couple of days before that i've separated my queen from the majority of the colony because you want um, no queen in the colony that in the in, yeah in the hive that you're putting your grafts into, but you keep that queen and you put her on top of with um, on top of the double screen board with a handful of um, frames of brood and all the food and nurse bees to look after her just for the couple of days that you've got her separated while you're getting your queen cells started. And the 
double queen board system works in such a way that the queen the, the heat travels up through so you've got the bulk of your colony down the bottom which is where you're putting your cells um and the heat from that keeps your queen and the brood above alive but it's basically a whole separate colony for a few days um and it works yes it works really well compared to say the cloak board system which is a complete separation of those two in a queen right system um and so the heat doesn't transfer nearly as well in that system and i live in a fairly cold climate like today i'm supposed to be out beekeeping now but it's raining outside and it's a high of seven degrees so it's you know pretty revolting um has to be done sometimes is, though doesn't it yeah yeah it does um and like tomorrow is going to be warmer and then the weekend will be great for beekeeping but um yeah today is just hopeless i remember asking um, a beekeeper once so when i was getting into queen rearing what's the number one tool you need for queen rearing and he said an umbrella <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I certainly looked into one of those silly hats that has an umbrella on it. And, <laughs> and I never quite got around to it. But um, yeah, no, queen breeders have to go into hives regardless because it's a biological clock, isn't it? Yeah. And so some <laughs> days it might be drizzling and cold and you just have to do it. Open the poor girls up and yeah. work, work in the mud. But um, I've seen some people yeah, so, put up actual tents over their cell builders and things like that, which is interesting. Yeah. I've heard that as well, but I've also heard the negative side, which is, of course, if you lift the lid on a hive and you've got a tent there and they all fly up into the underside of that tent, they're not going to come back down to it, yeah. into your hive. So you sort of have to leave it there. Would um, you know, It wouldn't be any good in the wind. So I don't know. I've never got around to that and, and just gone, no, just lump it. If it's crappy weather, you just still have to do the job. But, um, yeah, back to the temperature and in the climate that I'm in, yeah periodically you get these really cold snaps and so you don't want your queen isolated upstairs in a box with maybe only a couple of thousand bees to look after her um, so the double screen board acts as basically a heater coming from below and will keep all of that brood alive for a couple of days up there no worries at all even if it's cold so um, because there's an awful lot of heat being um, uh, coming from the huge amount of bees you've got below. So you've got most of the colony from two boxes in that one box. At the, uh, you have a big rim on the bottom of your double feed, uh, double screen board. So that's a huge volume of space just sitting above the frame tops in the bottom where you can fit thousands and thousands of bees all clustered. And then, as all good queen breeders know, you need to shake in four or five frames from other colonies of nurse bees to really chock-a-block, fill up that bottom box. And all they want to do is get that um, get those queen cells started and just fill them up with royal jelly. And that's producing this huge amount of heat it's just like energy plus and and that heat goes upstairs uh, into the top box as well um the bottom box of course thinking that they don't they are queenless um because you separated them a couple of days ago and um the top box stays alive and kicking until you're ready to switch those boxes and uh, exchange the 
double screen board for a queen excluder, putting the queen back downstairs and the cells upstairs. So it's complicated if you're not a queen breeder. Um, but yeah, have a look at Bob Binney's. He's, it's quite a long video, maybe an hour or more long. Um, you need to watch it quite a few times. But I've got some queen breeder friends who were using the cloak board system that I said, you've got to try this system out. And it's just, it revolutionizes your queen rearing and your success rate just blossoms. It's fantastic. You get huge cells. Um, if you're a good grafter, you get, you know, not maybe a 95 to 98% hit rate every time and they can produce, they can build up all, I do 45 cells at a time and, and they'll happily build all of them, maybe with a couple of duds, there's a couple of small ones, but you get beautiful big queens out of them. Yeah, mm. so great system. Yeah, great I love system. his system and I, I really like his videos. As you said, they're very relaxing to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's got a, he's got a yeah, nice, yeah. nice little way about it. Um, all yeah. right, uh, Paul, is there any, uh, so w where can we find you in terms of, uh, your social media, your website and your business? So for people wanting to buy Queens in the upcoming season, where can they find you? Right. Okay. So, um, as you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a bit useless with my social media presence, but I do have a developing website. So you can see me, um, my business is called Valley Apiaries. Unfortunately, my um, my URL is valleybees.nz, so that could be a bit confusing. So valleybees.nz will take you to my website, which is my business, Valley Apiaries. I also, um, so on that website, which is, um, is pretty fresh, um, I sell artisan honey, as most beekeepers produce excess honey. Um, my unique variety of honey, I I, uh, you'd have an ask this question, of course, but um, I keep all of my my apiaries in all of the different valleys around Banks Peninsula separate. And so I label them to each valley rather than each um, variety of honey. Like um, most people will sell bush honey or clover honey or manuka honey and things like that. I sell a honey that's specific to a valley. Um, and I, yeah, so that's the way I um, brand myself. Um, so you'll find on my website, my honey, my queens and my colonies. So I sell colonies as well. Um, I've recently started a, a Facebook page for my business, which is Valley Apiaries. Facebook, I guess. Um, hopefully you'll put the, the links to these things in, in, in the show notes. Um, and so that's me at the moment. Um, I typically have sold my queens via the New Zealand Commercial Beekeepers Facebook page. Uh, so I've got to know heaps of people through that and um, it's usually fairly straightforward way of selling, but yeah, I'm slowly developing a, a social media presence um, with the intention of getting a YouTube channel as well. Um, uh, it's been taking oh, lots of video, but yeah, I'll be looking yeah, forward to that. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to have a chat about today, Paul, before we, we finish up? Oh, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, chosen to go down the organic route with varroa control i guess the australians it might be a bit early for you um advice to hobbyists and people new to varroa is definitely go down the synthetic um path initially because it it is definitely successful and and it's a way to keep your bees alive but i did that for the first many years and started exploring 
ways that weren't uh, synthetic and looked into all of the various organic acids. So oxalic acid is probably the biggest one that most people know about in its various delivery systems. Um, so that's how I do it. But if, um, if you're listening to this, pay attention. It is very, very hands-on and you can never drop the ball and leave it. So if, if you want to go down organic uh, acids, vaporizing oxalic acid, staples, or there's many names for, um, for putting in uh, soaked, um, it's oxalic acid and um, glycerin um, mixed together as a delivery method using, um, I, we call them staples over here, but then you hang these cards or um, jib board um, paper tape, laminated paper tape over the tops of your frames down hang very similar to the synthetic plastic thing strips um vaporizing format pro all of those sort of things i i use but mostly oxalic acid and as i said it's very um main uh, high maintenance way of doing it but um but with resistance to some of the synthetics coming in you have to find an alternative so um you know, good luck to the Australians and hopefully you don't have that incursion go any further than it is. But, um, yeah, there's many ways of dealing it and I've just rambled, haven't I, and probably haven't answered your question. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I think I've done quite a bit of research and I think I will go the oxalic acid route once uh, I um, once it does get here. If it does, hopefully it doesn't. The, the government's mm. doing quite a good job at holding it at the moment. But, yeah, oxalic oh, acid good. is what I'll probably do. And I've got a few friends overseas that, you know, Duncan Simmons in the UK, he um, sells the Instavape, which is looks pretty good. I think I might yep. use one of those. <laughs> yeah, heard so of that same, one. Yeah, that looks pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I've got a similar similar system from the UK, which is called GasVat. So that runs on um, a gas torch system, but um, it it's basically delivered the same way. And it's so much quicker than the old, you know, 10 years ago I bought a, what, what we call a wand for oxalic acid, which is a pole attached to a battery with a heater on the end and you put a couple of grams of um, oxalic acid in and then run it through the front door, turn it on, stand back for two minutes, um, let it do its thing and then pull it out. And then you have to wait for it to cool down again before you can drop the oxalic acid into it. Otherwise, it will just vaporise in front of your face. So it needs to be cool. Whereas these other systems, you have a cat full of oxalic acid you take one cap off put the next one on and away you go and away you go and away you go so they're much much quicker um, and when you've got 10 or 20 hives sitting in a row you want it to be as quick as possible because you're going to be there for hours if you're using a wand or some other slow system um, the big thing i've found with those systems um, is they're really affected by the wind and so they are still very weather dependent and um, on a calm still day i can do 10 or 15 hives in half an hour but on a windy day you're tr constantly trying to block the wind from cooling down your system i imagine the battery systems are probably a bit better than the gas systems but 
uh, still still very very hands on and, and um, you've got to be dedicated to the cause if you if you're going to go that route. Lots for me to look forward to. <laughs> All right, Paul, we'll leave it there. Hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah. We'll leave it there today. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, all the best with your upcoming season and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for the invite and kakite. Thanks, Paul. Okay, well, how good was that having a chat with Paul? Really nice guy, and I've got the feeling we could have talked a lot longer, but at the moment in Australia and in New Zealand, we are both getting started for our queen raising season, so we haven't got a lot of time. Both Paul and I have our first rounds of queens coming out very soon. Very exciting time, but not a lot of time to talk, so hopefully we'll have Paul on again one day and uh, chat some more. I'll take this opportunity also to say sorry, Paul, because I incorrectly corrected you regarding the Nycot queen cage. I just had another look and yes, Nycot have a cage and so does Genta, so sorry about that. Okay, if you're in New Zealand and you would like to buy some of Paul's queens this season, you can do that by going to valleybees.nz. You can also go to Facebook, valleyapries.nz is the place you wanna go for that. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I really like having a chat to people from New Zealand. I had Ray Butler on last year and John Berry. Thanks again to John for being my very first interview. Been a bit of a journey since then. I've had a really great time. I love chatting to people in New Zealand. So if you'd like to recommend someone to come on the show, let me know by going to nixonqueenbees.com.au. And until next time, thanks so much for tuning in.